Hi, Barbara. Hello, Norm. Today, uh, we are talking with Olivia Short. We have wanted to talk to her for months, if not years. Yes, that's correct. Finally got the chance. She's been really busy, and we finally found found time. She found time. We got it all coordinated, and oh, man, she's brilliant. Yeah. What you will, dear listener, you will walk away feeling more optimistic and joyful after listening to this episode. There's a lot of beautiful creativity and positivity and can-do attitude that I just love to hear. Yep, yep. So listen on. You are listening to New Musings on New Music, where Norm Adams and Barbara Pritchard converse with guests from the world of contemporary art music. We are exploring some of the fascinating ideas found there and trying to demystify the wild and wonderful music. Our guest today is Olivia Short, who describes themselves as a multi-instrumentalist, vocalist, noisemaker, improviser, composer, sound designer, video artist, drag artist, curator, administrator, and producer. (laughs) This is going to be great. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Olivia. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) It's a mighty long list, but many of us have lots of things on our list. Uh, Yeah. This is particularly long. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, but it's so varied, too. I just... Yeah, it's really nice to have you here with us, Olivia. Um, the question we usually start with, and it's really the most important and most interesting question, is how did you become the Olivia Short that we're talking to here today? There's a there's a journey there, and we'd love to hear about what that journey is. Yeah, I I have lots of people to kind of credit for some of the twists and turns that have happened in my life, and... Um, you know, I've had a lot of people who've definitely encouraged me to try things I wasn't sure if I was good at, <laughs> but I wanted to do. And, you know, sometimes that's all you need is someone emailing you to say, you should uh, submit for this festival. And you're like, I have never done this before. And they're like, that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I originally started, um, I grew up in North Bay, Ontario, uh, my dad is from Nipissing First Nation, and all of my mom's family is from uh, Southern Ireland. And uh, yeah, I ended up at the University of Toronto. I studied classical saxophone performance, and um, I love the saxophone, and I, I love doing what I do with it now. But I was trying to kind of figure out what the things were that motivated me to make art and to be an artist. And I kind of, I yeah, I ended up after school, you know, I worked for a travel agency for a year. I had numerous jobs working any kind of front of house work. I was at the Hot Docs, um, the documentary cinema here in Toronto. I worked for them for a number of years as a manager. Like I was doing a lot of different stuff and um, kind of in between, I had these moments of, oh, maybe there's still space for the arts in my life in some way. And, you know, like, I think it was 2013, I did my first ever summer program, which was the Bang on a Can Summer Festival in Massachusetts. It's a big start. 
Yeah, <laughs> I did not realize that at the time. Okay. Um, I just, I think they had performed in Toronto the year before, and I saw them play, and I was like, oh, this is a really cool group, you know, and they all seemed really nice, and uh, so I just applied for their summer program, and I ended up meeting all these wonderful people who are still friends of mine to this day, um, a number of composers from everywhere and, and performers. Mm. And, you know, I, I was doing stuff like that. Like, I was still kind of working my um, my jobs to pay my rent and to figure out my life. And <laughs> I, you know, I did another festival. I did the Montreal Contemporary Music Lab in 2015. And that was also really encouraging because at the time I had realized I was like, I want to get back into playing and maybe practice more regularly. Uh, so I started a, a saxophone duo f that I had for a number of years called Stereoscope um, with my friend Jacob Armstrong, who I think had just finished his master's at the time. So I was just like, do you want to do this like casual ensemble and like we can work with composers and, you know, just kind of figure out fun things that we want to do. And there's no pressure of school or anyone else telling you, you know, you have to learn Zanakis or you have to do Goodbye to Lena, which are great things. But um when you're trying to figure out what you're interested in, it's just nice to have that freedom. So yeah, we had a duo for a number of years, which we did lots of cool stuff with. I really love that ensemble. And I feel like working with Jacob was um, a huge part of helping me not only figure out who I am, but just also growing as an artist. Uh, we worked with Robert LeMay, a composer up in Northern Ontario and uh, recorded an album two kilometers underground which was really cool <laughs> i think that's like that's got to be one of my favorite projects to this date because mm -hmm. um, it, it took a number of years you know they they needed to check out the neutrino lab which is the snow lab uh in sudbury um which stands for the sudbury neutrino observatory lab and you know go down and check out the space and it's a whole process getting down there too so, you know you have I'm to sure, yeah. Make sure you're not contaminating the space for the scientists and the researchers in the, the lab part specifically. But to get down there, you go with the miners. And, of course, it's it's underground, so it's dirt, dirty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then we also, you know, we did a performance at Open Ears in Kitchener-Waterloo. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I had those kinds of things going on. And I, I had other ensembles I was um, organizing later on. I had a group for a period of time called the Velvet Crystals for about a year or two. And we were kind of focused on finding space for composition and improvisation and kind of like joy in playing together as a quartet. Um, so I was doing, yeah, I was doing ensemble stuff to kind of figure out what, what I was interested in. And then in the middle of all of that, um, I had also been doing a lot of administrative work uh, throughout the years. Also just, you know, I worked at a place called Native Earth Performing Arts, um, I think back in 2014. And the managing director at the time was so encouraging and so sweet. I really credit him for encouraging me to get into composition in a, uh, to a degree because he he emailed me one year and was just like, Olivia, I heard you worked with dancers. And I, I was I was working with some dancers at the time, just doing some improv and also working with some composers like Julia Mermelstein. Um, I worked on a piece with her and, you know, we were doing some stuff with a few dancers who were really wonderful. Um, yeah, and Isaac, Isaac reached out and was just like, pitch a piece for our festival. And it's this works in development festival at Native Earth called Wasaga Check. Uh, that happens uh, every year. Um, really great festival, actually. It's it's just happening right now. 
um, as we're recording this. Uh, and yeah, so I, I, I pitched my first piece back in 2017. It essentially, you know, it was me trying to figure out how to be a composer and uh, whatever that means. And I was working with a dancer named Kathleen at the time, who I also credit as being a big uh, impact on me developing as an artist and learning what my aesthetics were. I, I had this whole idea, like I ended up with like eight cassette players on stage and <laughs> I hadn't yet learned how to use a microphone properly or an interface. <laughs> so I had this hilarious setup in our living room where I had this interface plugged into a microphone that was over top of my laptop so that I could record audio samples that friends had recorded of text I had written so that I could put them onto cassette tapes. It was so wild. Like, I had this little cassette recorder that also had a thing. Anyways, it was very DIY, and I was like, this will be fine. <laughs> um, but it ended up being a lot of, like, uh, a big basis for some of the, the work I do now and just playing around with whatever I had at the time and learning you know there's youtube tutorials and thankfully the internet there's a lot of people who are willing to teach for free in that sense so yeah that, that was a huge I, I always think of that moment of like isaac sending me this email and i was like okay i don't really know what i'm doing but let's let's just go for it <laughs> um yeah so theater became kind of the space where uh, because I was starting to get more into improvising and I was kind of writing music for myself to play on stage with other people and mostly actors and dancers. Um, you know, I, again, another person who I, I credit with encouraging me to do a lot of things, actually two people kind of, um, I did the, I did two summers at the BAMP Center when the International Contemporary Ensemble was running the program, programs there, the summer music programs. And uh, Claire Chase was running the programs and, you know, I got to know her really well. And she was very encouraging because she brought in a lot of like Pauline Oliveros's work. Um, and Ryan Muncy was the saxophone faculty. And just the two of them were both like super encouraging. And I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't really improvise that much. <laughs> Again, you know, a lot of like, I want to do this. And I, I think just, you know, sometimes with previous training, you get, you sometimes get ideas in your head like, oh, well, I didn't train in improv or I didn't train in composition and, you know, I'm not really good at it yet. Yet. Yet is always mm -hmm. the key word. But uh, it's hard to sometimes be like you're 26 or you're 29 or, or even, you know, older and trying to do something new when there's so many people who are 100 times, quote unquote, better than you. Um, so, yeah, I, I've just been really lucky to have a lot of people encourage me at different stages of like I'm interested in this now and like how do I incorporate this into my practice and um yeah finding those people has been really valuable I think to me just uh having any level of confidence in myself and just uh putting myself out there um and trying new things and being a little more like experimental <laughs> and uh yeah I, I feel like even the last couple of years I um I just finished a program at Dartmouth College. Uh, so I was in New Hampshire, uh, kind of on and off for the last two years. And that was another one of those um, things just kind of lined up in this funny way where during the pandemic, I'd say early 2020, um, I was working on I was working on anything I could think of and applying to any festival that had stuff or had calls or proposals and was asking for artists to pitch stuff. So. 
Um, I had worked on a number of different pieces. I had some text that was sort of sitting around that I didn't quite know what to do with it. Um, I had started writing it for a different project that it never ended up in. And I ended up using it for this trio piece that I did for uh, a group in California called Long Beach Opera. Um, they did this online gala and it was sort of, you were paired, there were like five mentors who each then got to pick four or five mentees and then you kind of got scrambled. So whoever submitted you, you kind of ended up with someone else. Um, and I had just started getting to know uh, Du Yun a little bit actually, who was one of the mentees. Um, she's an amazing composer. I, I love her work so much. Uh, she's like definitely my kind of weird. Um, and through writing this trio, it was uh, this moment where I was like, oh, I could see this being like a bigger piece because uh, it was only five or six minutes. And I was just like, how do I expand this? And it was also this like interesting project where I, I was working with a vocalist, uh, Alexandra Smither. She lives in Houston and um, Isadora Noikovich, who's a cellist uh, from Vancouver, who at the time was in Vancouver, I think she's now in the States. Um, and then Alieta Fundankos, who at the time was in England. And then, you know, I think she's now moved down to Princeton. But, uh, you know, like try to navigate all these different things and, and working long distance and recording everyone's stuff. Anyways, that project ended up inspiring me to be like, oh, maybe I'll do this giant thing and make an opera. Right. <laughs> I've never written opera. <laughs> and, you know, I wouldn't even necessarily say this is like, opera opera but there is it's dramatic it sometimes has classical singers in it like and it's this project i've been working on um that's sort of talking about now now kind of the the focus of it is around rematriation of indigenous cultural items and their ancestors mm -hmm. like the human remains that are trapped in museums or institution spaces and in the conversation of rematriation and like what that means um yeah, and, 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 you know, it's like all these things that kind of happened. So this opera ended up being the reason why I ended up at Dartmouth, because I was reaching out to Ash Fury, who's one of the professors there. Uh, I was really interested in her work, and I had seen some of her her larger scale stuff um, at the Mostly Mozart Festival in New York, like a few years before. Yeah, I just messaged her because we had chatted once during a project I'd done in 2019 and I really like the type of advice she's again another really encouraging person mm. um who was doing weird stuff that was really inspiring and yeah she ended up being like well why don't you apply to Dartmouth you know it, the master's program was super flexible and it allows for folks to to kind of really figure out what they're interested in and you have access to a lot of gear and there's some funding at the school and you know it just was a good space to be during that part of the pandemic um yeah, and <laughs> I I had ended up meeting Ash because um, in 2019, um, again, another one that was like, I just submitted a thing. I waited to see what would happen. And I got to work with the Jack Quartet in New York City, which yeah. was really cool. <laughs> kind of wild. Yeah. <laughs> I was a little shocked by that one, only because I had submitted all my weird theater stuff like I submitted literally like some of my solo stuff where I'm running around on stage kind of playing music but then also improvising and uh doing some text stuff and I guess they were into it because they were I think looking for people they hadn't met before and trying to also make sure they weren't getting too insular as far as who they were working with so through that I actually that's how I slowly met some people's uh they had money and funding for mentoring 
Um, so I talked to Ash Fury a little bit and Duyun through that, uh, Matna Roberts. Um, and it just ended up being something that kind of propelled me forward and being like, oh, I do like creating music um, and just trying to figure out how I like creating music. Like, uh, am I, you know, a traditional Western notation kind of girly or am I, you know, the kid who wants to like make weird video pieces or audio stores or something else? Like, um, and that was, yeah, that was super encouraging to work with a group like them because they were just, they, they're kind of down for anything. And that's kind of a long way to say like, that's how I got here. <laughs> it sounds a little bit like you're just a person that said yes a lot of times. Sort of fearlessly said yes. Yeah. Uh, it might come across as fearlessly, fearlessly but yes, I did say, I said yes a lot and then yeah. panicked later. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, a little panic goes a long way, I guess. You know, yeah. uh, what an exciting path. So, you mentioned like not knowing what kind of composer am I? Do I write stuff down? Do I improvise stuff? Do you know? Uh, how do you do you identify as a written down kind of person, or do you identify mm. as an improviser first? I would say at this moment, I I'm definitely still figuring it out a little bit. Mm. Um, I have done you know your full on forty two page written out score. Mm. I think I'm slowly coming to the realization that. I can do that, but it's not necessarily where my heart is. Mm. Um, I am interested in kind of living in this place of, I guess people use the term hybridity a lot, but uh, for me, I, I, I'm interested in like, what are other ways of disseminating information to people that can provoke interesting ideas in them as well, which is why I love uh, improvisation so much and finding ways like, you know, looking at works like George Lewis's stuff. How do you leave space for the performer to be an interpreter? And I feel like a lot of that comes from being in theater because in theater, it's like, yes, you have a director, you have this whole team of people who are shaping the work. But re in reality, a lot of the time, you just have this piece of paper that has words on it, right? And the actor is finding their interpretation of it. It's not like, it's not, uh, you know, it's not like micromanaged in necessarily, like you have to perform it just like this, right. which right. is where, you know, classical music wants yeah. to do that in a certain way for certain reasons. And I think I just really enjoy what theater and the sort of space of improvising allows for. Mm. So. I'm definitely interested. I've been doing video and audio scores the last few years, and that has probably brought me the most joy. It's also so much work <laughs> just in yeah. the editing side yeah, of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also figuring out, like, visually, what does this translate to for a performer versus this? You know, like, I I have a piece I, I did at a workshop um, in Denmark last summer, and it's called Your Secrets Are Safe With Me. And essentially, I cut up a bunch of magazines and and printed out some images of sort of nostalgic like 90s stuff and because I had found all these um costume books uh that were all kind of from the 80s and 90s and just like that sort of aesthetic was visually like uh representative of a lot of my childhood and so I ended up picking four sort of avatars for the performer. So each performer picks their avatar. There's like a Furby. There's a kid in a lion's costume. Um, 
and I'm just forgetting the other two right now. Uh, but, you know, you pick your avatar and you kind of follow it through this really rough stop motion video I made that I spent like, you know, I had a camera sitting above and I'm there with my Bluetooth thing going click, click and moving things like one. It, whoo, I learned a lot <laughs> doing that. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I had fragments of music that I've written before kind of pop in and I, you know, I have them turning around and moving and, and just essentially asking the performer to try to read it as a group. Um, and then there's some blatant instructions that are like, you know, scream this all together uh, that pop up. And so that was, you know, one of my uh, forays into video scores. And I really enjoyed it because it also meant that I could really focus on also just the relationship building of the process, which I find to be even more important than the score itself. I really liked either being in the room virtually or physically, but I just really liked being a part of the process and being able to hear what they're thinking and talk to them and not necessarily direct them, but um, offer what I was thinking and, and sort of show them where I thought it was going, but to... Yeah, really just prompt a conversation together about, like, how do you want to perform it? <laughs> and, yeah, so I think, I think I'm think i slowly more and more being, like, I like finding ways to either have stuff going through your headphones or visually having some kind of cue that's in a video format. But I'm less and less interested in just straight ahead sort of, like, digital or paper scores like that. Yeah. Can, can you explain to our uh, our listeners a little bit about the video score thing. I mean, are, are the players reading off tablets or is there a big screen or how, how does that work? And, and is it performed live in a concert hall kind of space with people in chairs looking at them? Yeah, so um, for that specific piece that I was talking about, uh, what I had them do is I created one video that was for all the performers and they read off their tablets and essentially just started it at the same time. Um, then I actually because I was ambitious, I created a whole other video that used components of their score, but then took out, I didn't want to fully reveal everything to the audience. Like, you know, if you were close enough, you could maybe see someone's score, but I really just wanted it to be the interaction of the sound and the video kind of scoring the video almost. So I created a new video that had parts of the store and then I put in new scenes um, to create kind of a weird fragmented narrative. And so that's what the audience really saw okay. was that video. So the performers were looking at one video and the audience was seeing another video. Yeah. Amazing. I, it sounds like you don't have, like many composers have an idea of how the piece is going to sound. Like I wrote it this way. It's quiet here. It's loud here. You don't have those kinds of expectations. Do you have those kinds of expectations? I don't really, to be honest. Um, if I ever want something really specific, I'll put it in there. Mm. Um, you know, even with uh, my opera project, which has changed a lot since I initially wrote it. Like, I did have a 42 or 45 page score for it at one point, but uh, now there's just a libretto <laughs> and me giving instructions. But nice. I, I ended up kind of doing like, you know, I cut out some old melodic lines that I wanted and then based off the instructions um you know allow like was trying to allow the performer to take agency for themselves right. and and feel like they had that so I'm pretty much the I, I have a sense of where it's gonna go but I'm also okay with 
it not being exactly that sound. And the specific things I want, I, I just put in there. I'll cut them out. I'll write them in. I will just tell the performer, mm. you know. Mm. That's lovely. I like that kind of hybrid of sometimes it's stressful as a as a performer of a composer's work. And I'm using the little rabbit ears or quotations, not around composer. Yeah, no, I don't know why I did that. But because uh, <laughs> composers are composers. But like sometimes that we have too much where, you know, we're not improvising but we're not reading notes and there's kind of a uh, gray area that we as performers navigate. So it's nice to have, it's nice to hear about that uh, sort of being developed that you're kind of developing that and guiding uh, performers along. I'm going to cut all that out because that was, what I'm, <laughs> what I'm thinking of is, is like there's sometimes pieces, sometimes composers say improvise here and then they say, no, don't improvise like that. Improvise, you know, like improvise. They actually have expectations of what it's supposed to sound. But so they're not really giving agency, but they're sort of giving agency. It sounds like you're really giving agency. It's what I'm it's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Um, or I'm hoping that's what I, I think is coming across. Uh, I guess I, I'm also pretty mindful of who I'm working with so mm. um, oftentimes that's also an important part of the process for me has been at least you know up to this point that's kind of been a focus is thinking about also who I'm working with and for the most part you know I know pretty well what those performers are capable of and kind of like mm. what's in their wheelhouse mm. and where they're okay being pushed and um yeah, I think I just want everyone to kind of be an improviser and creator or composer themselves mm. and figuring out how to do that without it being also just like, here's a blank page. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no structure. Yes. Like, you know, uh, the structure does help a lot of folks. And the structure, I think, is essentially me being like, this is my intention with the work. And I still want you to put who you are into this. And I want to hear that. I've worked a lot recently uh, with a composer named Raven Shakan, and we've been, I, I I should mention how I met him, but he's been a really wonderful collaborator in my life um, over the last couple of years. We met in 2019 because I opened for him at a mini festival that the Music Gallery and Array Music had co-presented and produced. And, you know, David Atz, who was working there at the time, had emailed and was like, do you want to open for this composer? We're doing a festival of his work over three days. And I was just like, sure. And I hadn't heard of him at the time, but I started looking him up and was like, oh, this, this guy's really cool. He's doing a lot of noise stuff. He's working with groups like Kronos Quartet. And then, you know, he's just playing in his, his own bands. And I was like, oh, this is like, this is kind of what a version of I could see my life being like this. And yeah, I ended up opening for him. Uh, I heard him play after, which was wild i loved it and then i got to know him um as him and his partner candace were working in toronto and she was part of the toronto biennial um and for, for the art biennial and uh yeah through him i ended up he ended up writing me a solo piece and it was something we talked about over i think it was over 2020 or 2019 i'm i'm kind of lost sense of time with that but we all have a bit <laughs> yeah and actually um you know i had some sessions uh where i was working with him on a piece of mine 
um, through the Canadian New Music Network, uh, the Connections program. I did that one year with him and had several sessions. So, you know, like he was working with me on the piece he was writing. And then I was asking for his advice as I was trying out a sort of graphic score kind of thing with a friend of mine, uh, Joy Gidry. She's a bassoonist based in the States that I work with uh, pretty often. <laughs> and we, yeah, me and, and Raven ended up writing this piece, which it, it it's this, um, it's not quite a circle. And I, I, I don't know what the proper term is, but it's 11 sided kind of, because it has 11 arrows okay. coming out of it. It's almost a circle with 11 arrows coming out of it. And we talked a lot about, you know, I was talking about community and relationships with people and that those were the really important factors in my life. Um, of my art making and and just being a person <laughs> and so he was trying to think of a way to encapsulate that into a piece and i think this this time that we took together you know was really reflective of the same kind of things that i look for when i'm working with people and and so just i've really enjoyed working with him and we ended up you know we we did the whole premiere of all all the all the solo pieces that he wrote um at the whitney biennial and then this year we've we've done them again. Some of them we've done. A, we did at the Holland Festival in Amsterdam just earlier oh, nice. this summer. Yeah, that was really fun. Mm -hmm. And then uh, pretty recently, like a week or two ago, uh, just came back from Washington D.C. and we performed five of them at the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian. Yeah, so like he's been this huge. He's also been a huge impact on my life. It's just mm -hmm. getting to work with him and also seeing his work and how he approaches notation and that for the most part it's really visual like he I think he told me he had studied film first and then was always in music but film had been a first study so like his approach coming kind of from this visual mindset I don't know I, th I feel like that's impacted me a lot too <laughs> mm -hmm. you know it makes me think that you know many of us like Barbara and I come from this background where we were taught music from this one place and then we had to work really hard to you know break free of that in some ways to, mm. to say what we needed to say and now we both kind of read scores well, i improvise a lot but i read scores that are unusual to the to a person they wouldn't necessarily and barbara you also do that kind of work um but it seems like you kind of started there which you, I mean, it, it, it seems like you skipped the whole Western classical music piece, which sounds kind of good to me. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like, um, and in some ways this is, is pretty similar for other aspects of my work, but I, I studied as a performer because mm -hmm. I did study classical music, but I was studying classical saxophone, which already, it, it's already the sort of ostracized weirdo of classical music. Totally, yeah. There's like four oh, pieces yeah. I we get can it. play. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah, Barbara well, you... knows. Barbara knows the entire classical saxophone repertoire. She <laughs> used to be, I used I used to be the studio pianist for the saxophone students at Dalhousie. Oh, so. oh, that's wild. Yeah, yeah. Like, so you I know. get it. <laughs> and and the thing is, like you know, the classical aspect of classical saxophone is pretty small, and then you're sort of already gently nudged toward all the weird stuff mm. and and i say weird with love because that is what i do i feel like i'm a weird person yeah. i make weird art i like weird sounds i just like things that are not necessarily the norm and 
maybe are becoming more the norm as more people do it. But <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you, you learn all these things. Like you're looking at microtones, you're looking right. at multiphonics, you're like exploring all the color of the instrument as a saxophone player. And um, you kind of have to, because it's like, that's what a lot, there's a lot of that repertoire available, you know, in studying that, I already ended up on this weird peripheral of classical music where I was in it, but also not really. <laughs> and even composition kind of ended up like that, where it was like, you know, I got into improvising and through that, because I was making music myself and then eventually, you know, having to create, find a way to communicate to other people now, instead of it just being in my head or like my loose notes on a page. Uh, or notes in a iPhone, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, I feel like improvisation was again this like peripheral way of like approaching composition and figuring out what that even means. Right. Um, yeah, and even with like I, I've I, I started getting into sound design just before the pandemic, and you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to get back into it, but that was another aspect of my composition was like creating all this music like in Ableton or whatever, and people asking me to kind of come back into that now. Uh, sound, when you're talking about sound design, you're talking about sound design for theater? Yeah, specifically yeah. for theater. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm working with a couple different companies right now on brand new works, and that sort of like peripheral thing again of like, I, I think I've put quotation marks sometimes around composer because it, it's having studied classical music at university at the university of Toronto, you know, um, for a long time set my brain a certain way as yeah. to, to what I could be and who I could be as a composer. But, you know, you're writing music, you're a composer. Like yeah. who cares? Yeah. <laughs> composer for, for us classical musicians are, is a, is a loaded term. And, and we think of it as a limited term, but I don't think, I don't think it is anymore. Uh, it's a whole bunch of different ways of, making music uh, we're all composing we're composing everything yeah we're composing right now i don't know if i fully answer your question but <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it's i don't even remember what my question was but uh it's uh i love to hear that music is is kind of changing and morphing out of the sort of rigid place that it came from i think from for many of us, certainly for Barbara and I, it was a pretty rigid place that we left. And it's wonderful to hear that the the rigid place isn't really in place for, for some yeah. anyway, for some, for some, it still is. Um, yeah, that's nice. That's really nice. So Barbara, do you have a, anything you're wondering? I'm talking. I, a um, I would love to touch on this. I know it might not appeal to Norm as much as it does to me. I am a cat lover. And you have two just utterly delightful videos on your, I guess it's your website, that I'm just curious to know. Olivia's hand is over her mouth right now, and she's giggling with glee. I just want to say that. Yeah. What, what, what's that all about? I love them. Yeah. Well, okay. So, you know, I am a bit of a child of the internet, um, but I also just have always grown up with cats. Um, so, you know. They're going to live rent-free in my house. I might as well make them work. Uh, 
both my cats, like um, my current cat has appeared in one of my works and my previous cat also appeared in another work I did during the pandemic. But, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I love cats. People love cats. They're so weird and odd. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I like to, you know, try to build characters into my stories. It's like, well, they're there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and especially with, with both my cats, uh, <laughs> just like there's also just so much in in a cat meow like i i was like downloading a whole cat meow library to just distort and play with cat meows for one piece uh there's a lot you could do with that sound <laughs> and and also just like you know it's this becomes a silly absurd thing as part of it like i had one piece i did during a live stream um, for a theater company out west called Up in the Air Theater, and they did, uh, you know, an online version of their festival, which is a, a works and development festival. And, you know, I had this whole story that was kind of loosely, uh, you know, that the idea that the apocalypse had happened, um, there was no more organic life left, uh, except the only kind of surviving creature was a cat. And so I was just taking videos of my cat above him while he was just rolling around. Because um, it just felt like this funny interjection that of all the things to survive, why would a cat, why would it be a cat and not like some random bug with a giant shell or something, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I, I like to incorporate silliness and absurdity into my work a lot of the time. And... Uh, even even that thought I just described, I ended up seeing um, Netflix did these short animated videos. Uh, I think it's called Love Sets and Robots, and one of them is literally a bunch of robots going around post like human life. And guess what? The last thing left is this cat. I was like, "Yep, I was right." <laughs> In your uh, when we read your bio, your the beautiful bio on your website, you talk about your work as 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 being performance art storytelling can you tell us about the storytelling piece is are those are you telling us literal stories or are, are they sort of abstract stories or is mm. do you describe the arc of your music as a story yeah i think a lot of the time there's some kind of story i'm trying to tell sometimes it's from my own life mm -hmm. and it's things i'm trying to grapple with or deal with uh you know um there's obviously a, a a lot that a person can go through and whether it's like the death of a family member or you know feeling frustrated with capitalism um you know these are some of the things that I'll think a lot about it and I'll just be like, how do I translate this into some kind of visual sonic mm. creative place where I can not only like kind of process what I'm thinking, but probably talk about something that's relatable also to other people. Uh, so a lot of the time, like um, that's how I, that's how I kind of process is mm. like, I'm going to turn this into an art piece and I just, you know, that's what I do. And so I often do, though, it's not usually like a straight ahead from start to finish kind of like, here's how, where the, here's the characters, here's the place, this is what happens, and this is the conclusion. Um, I'm usually trying to abstract things in a way that whoever's listening can also find themselves in it um, and can like create space for themselves. 
Uh, so there's usually some kind of fragmentation in my work where maybe I'll be telling part of a story and then it stops and it switches to something else. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I use like surrealism and absurdity and kind of like camp and that's where like the drag and makeup and costumes kind of come in sometimes. But finding these ways of like, even though if you really just looked at the what was happening in the story as like, this is something that could happen to a person because it's set somewhere else or there's a, a, a monster dealing with it or a cat dealing with it. You know, it, it, it gives you that space to kind of interact with it, especially if it's something darker or sadder, um, to interact with it without like necessarily becoming overwhelmed. I don't want to necessarily overwhelm people or um, I'm okay with like dealing with a harder matter, but I like to make it I like to find silliness and joy and stuff because mm. I think that exists in everything. Like, um, so that's usually what I'm thinking about a lot of time is this kind of like fragmentation, creating space, creating other worlds, and then and the space for people to put themselves into it while also being able to step out if they need to. Mm. Nice, nice. You mentioned uh, costumes and drag, <laughs> and it seems like. You know, when I looked at your Instagram, uh, there's there's brightly colored clothing. You're you got something really cool on in each is uh, in each photo. Is that part of your presentation as a performer? And and you're crediting the the designers and stuff like that. Is sort of fashion part of your thing as well? Yes. Cool. Uh, I. Definitely think of myself as a beginner slash intermediate uh, costume person. Um, you know, I worked the last two years. I worked the two years I was at Dartmouth um, in the costume shop. Wow. And, wow. Uh, you know, that was absolutely fantastic getting to build on my skills and also just like see different costumes for different shows and figuring out how they designed it. And mm. um, that was really fun. And, I think a lot about the visuals of a performance. Um, I think what I missed in seeing, you know, like classic recitals or, or classical recitals and kind of like standard uh, concerts, I I didn't understand why performers wanted to all be in black. I was like, these are such interesting, beautiful humans performing like beautiful music and, you know, I'm looking at them for an hour and <laughs> I, I guess just like the ability to express yourself. That was actually something I really liked about bang on a can is they were one of the first groups I saw when I was younger, where um, in the sort of more classical new music side of things ish uh, that, you know, they just wore the things that felt comfortable or expressed them. And I loved that. It was like, wow, it seems like such a basic thing to be able to express yourself through your clothes. Mm. But we, we, you know, orchestras wear all black. Everyone's just wearing all black because you're not supposed to focus on the people. You're no. supposed to focus on the sound. Yeah. And I, I don't really agree with that. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've always, like, even when I was an undergrad, the outfit was always very important to me. Um, and I grew up with uh, my mom who was, uh, you know, she was a seamstress and she would make all my graduation outfits. She would always, if I had some kind of performance, there was always like her making an outfit for me. And I've always loved color too, color and patterns. So I just think with that kind of upbringing and the space to express myself pretty much in any way I wanted, mm. um, that's always been really important to me to think about how 
does an audience perceive me and what do they get from it and do they get to know me as well from this mm. and so over the last few years um I've been slowly getting to know uh, indigenous designers specifically, and I've had an interest in working with them. And and um, I feel really privileged, but I you know make friends with them and been able to borrow pieces from their collections and right. have that be a part of the story of whatever right. I'm presenting. The fir- one of the first artists I got to do that with, uh, she's New York based, um, Karina Emmerich. It was for the Whitney Biennial. It was also like one of those like this is such a big opportunity yeah. to also sh- like not only showcase my work and Raven. It was Raven Chacon's work, and I was like you know to have someone else incorporated into that mix. So I was a big fan of Karina's work. Um, she works a lot with like bright colors, and I was like you know we became friends, and I was like could I like rent or borrow a piece from you, and we ended up you know trying on some different things in her studio and I ended up like borrowing this big cape jacket that has these like giant striped pieces and she had made these boots that matched it so I was you know fully decked out (laughs) (laughs) um but I think building those relationships has been another aspect of the like uh how I not just thinking like bringing people in but how I work with other people and and building up relationships for maybe future projects as well because I do love fashion so much and wanting to get to know artists like that and also to think about trying to work with artists for the most part from that area if I can uh, wherever I'm performing so like when I was in New York I wanted to work with Karina um, I did a show at the at Send and Receive in Winnipeg uh, last fall and so I worked with another local designer, um, Evan Ducharme, and I borrowed uh, a dress and a jacket from him for that performance. Um, this uh, last December, I borrowed from, uh, I- I'm based in Toronto, by the way. I-, I don't know if I ever said that. <laughs> but I worked with an artist based here in Toronto, uh, Jason Baird, whose design company is IMOC um, Horizons. And he uses a lot of bright, colorful pieces. And I actually saw Serene Fox, who was, she's a regular judge on uh, Drag Race Canada. And I saw her wear one of his pieces and I was just like, who's that? I need to know this person. I love this. Like just this beautiful, like salmon that shifted because it was just like gorgeous silk. Anyways, um, so I ended up borrowing a piece from him for a recital I did at the Canadian Opera Company, like those lunch hour concerts. And then um, more recently, actually, for the Smithsonian concert I did in Washington, I couldn't find someone necessarily local to Washington, D.C. that I could work with it within the time frame I had. So I ended up borrowing a piece from a designer based here in Toronto, uh, Justine Woods. Um, she lent me this like really gorgeous dark brown blazer that was all beaded along the arms. Um, so I, I put an outfit together based around that jacket. But yeah, it's like the relationship building and getting to also incorporate. I kind of see it like the way I create structured improvisations for performers that like by pulling, say, one piece in to an outfit, like trying to figure out styling the rest of it to go with also what I'm performing mm. <laughs> and figuring that all out. And as far as the drag stuff goes and makeup and, and, and sort of costumes in that sense, um, just, you know, again, working with theater people. And theater artists, like, there's so much thought. Like, there's uh, there's 
you know, depending on how big the team is, you know, you sometimes you have a costume person who does everything. They make the garments or they source the garments. They're styling everything, whatever. To sometimes you have a larger team of like one person is designing everything. And then there's other people executing the build of these pieces or the outsourcing or um, looking for these pieces, you know, secondhand or from thrift shops. I'm like, if I'm putting on a show, I want that to be a part of it and to think about these things like my closet is kind of ridiculous as far as like kind of some of the stuff I have I you know have a lot of sequin stuff I have a lot of colorful stuff <laughs> a lot of pattern stuff I have some wild boots that like I can only wear for performing because they unfortunately hurt my feet too much but they look great like I have a pair of boots that have lightning bolts on the heel I cannot walk in them but I can stand for an hour and then take them off as soon as I get to the green room um <laughs> you know and then uh I guess it's, yeah, it's a little bit like building a persona, building something for me to sit comfortably in, too, because me as a person, I, you know, there's a degree of confidence, but also there's anxiety and, and shyness and performance anxiety, too. And just, you know, having this thing to come into, whether it's like putting a bunch of makeup on my face or, you know, clothes in a specific way, um, I, I feel like that helps bolster my confidence. Mm. And I also, during kind of during the pandemic, was creating this character that I was building some of my storytelling off of. Um, I named them Nina Bougie, and it's a play off of uh, the Sanishinaabe word um, Nana Bojo, which is the trickster character. And, you know, I was like, oh, great, like a weird spirit who like is kind of trying to shake stuff up trying to be a bit of a you know like a little bit naughty but you know there's sometimes a lesson in what they're doing and sometimes there's not and you know there's kind of like messing stuff up on purpose and I thought that was a really fun way to just play around and 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 have something to sit in is that a recurring character is it an alter ego are we gonna see I, do you yeah. see that in more than one piece that's kind of oh, a fun idea. Yeah. yeah. It is a recurring character. Yeah. And I, I've created numerous pieces with Nina. Like, mm. um, I I got to work with Gabrielle Darmou last year. I think it was last year. And I, I love I love Gabrielle's work. And I essentially was like, you know, I'm a little newer to this. You know, my makeup skills are, are <laughs> again, a little further back. Like, I'm a little more beginner. Um, I'm doing a lot of abstract stuff on my face. Um, but I was really inspired by the work Gabrielle does sure. and as Bajuria. Um, so it was like, Gabrielle, do you want to do this thing for Swanee Perry Popolo online? And he said, yes. And we just, again, it was like one of those long distance relationships where we're like, okay, how do we record separately in Toronto and Montreal? And then, you know, editing sort of like, I, I would take a swipe at a bunch of edits and show it to him and he, he would offer some thoughts and then, you know. It was just a very much a back and forth of, okay, how do we want this to look? We do want it to be super silly and weird. Um, yeah, I, I did a number of video, I guess they're video pieces, um, just with that character during mm. the pandemic and just being locked in my house for, for a long time. Um, and then more and more with some of the live performances, I, I've been doing the same kind of makeup as the character. And I think that's one of those things I'm still developing, figuring out how does that persona fit into the mm. live mm. versus just these videos that I made. Right. So it's kind of a, it's, they're still being developed a little Work bit, you know, progress. Nina's, Nina's, yeah. Nina appears. 
That's amazing. It sounds like you're creating like a full show. It's not, it's not, uh, uh, not half half baked. We're we're looking at all the elements. That's really nice. Yeah. Um, do you have anything? Uh, well, I I know you have things to do in the future. <laughs> Obviously, you do. <laughs> Is there anything in particular you'd like to tell us about? Anything you're really looking forward to? Anything that you haven't got set up yet, but you think would be neat to do? I'm currently an artist in residence uh, at the University of Toronto through the Jackman Humanities Institute. And so I've been working with the Center for Drama, Theatre and Performance Studies. Uh, And then next semester, I'm going to also be at Carleton University in their music department. And yeah, through that, I've been doing a lot of teaching, which has been really great. And just kind of working with students, um, especially undergrad students. And I'm also, uh, I think my title is Indigenous Curator in Residence (laughs) with Hamilton Arts Inc., which is a a gallery in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, And I'm going to have an exhibition there next year. So there'll be a bunch of video pieces. Um, I'm still kind of working out what the project looks like. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to be chatting to some mentors kind of more in the visual and video arts area. Tanya, Luke and Linklater, someone I'm chatting with, and uh, there's a couple of other artists. But yeah, so that'll be next September. It's going to open um, in Hamilton. So that's a kind of like not that far away, but a big project I have coming up. Um, I still am working on my opera, which is uh, called The Museum of the Lost and Found, Dr. Zutariwad. And that's one of those, you know, that's a long-term project. Uh, I'm in discussion with some festivals, writing grants, trying to kind of figure out where the next iteration of it's going to be. Because the last time I did it, it was sort of like this workshop presentation, and I'm trying to get it to a place of actually performing it in a site-specific place like an institution and working with people again on it to kind of keep developing it. And those are some of the big things right now. Um, There's a lot of other projects that are ongoing throughout my life. Um, I'm working with an artist who teaches at the University of Victoria named Carrie Newman. And I was introduced to him through his sister, Marion, actually. Um, But I'm doing, I'm creating music for a VR version of a real, like a physical exhibit that is at the Canadian Human Rights Museum. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's up right now publicly. I think they're working on it because it's it's called The Witness Blanket. And uh, it's a project that Carrie worked on for a number of years. Like he's a wood carver and he created, it looks like kind of like an upright blanket, but inside all these different uh, parts of it, are objects or things collected by families of um, people who went to residential schools. And so Carrie has been working with his team of people on creating um, a virtual reality version of it so that, you know, if you are too far away or it's too expensive to get to the museum when it is being exhibited to the public, that you can still see it and interact with the Mm. objects and learn about it. So I'm working on the music for that. And that's another one of those like long-term projects. Yeah. Um, and I have a few of those. I have a few of those kinds of projects where it's like working on music for something. I'm working on music for a show that's not going to be up for a few years. It's uh, with a company called Outside the March. And they do a lot of immersive site-specific type theater, which I really love. And 
you know, right now we're, we're just creating audio demos for that piece. I won't name it yet just because it's still early, but uh, in a few years that should be being performed live in Toronto most likely. And <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of like what I've got going on right now and for Amazing. the future. Amazing. You've painted all these beautiful pictures for us. Where can we see your work? Where can we send our listeners to see and hear your creations? Yeah, um, you can go to my website, oliviashort.com or olivia-short.com. You can use either. I'm also big on Instagram. My handle is just my name, Olivia Short with two Ts, and the O in short is an underscore. And those are kind of places where I, I keep the most updated. Right. Um, anywhere else you find me, I kind of forget about those platforms. <laughs> <laughs> so I would recommend Instagram or my website. Right. I'm pretty good about keeping, if you want to know like what shows I have. Um, oh, yeah. I'm going to be doing some shows in Ottawa next year because of the connection with Carlton. Right. So, And then I also have a show in Montreal at the end of May, which... Once it's public, I'll, I'll be posting that info yeah. on my website. So that's pretty much, those are the best places to find me, nice. are my website and Instagram. Great. Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for this super inspiring talk. Yes. So yes. much joy. Uh, we rarely hear. Yay! <laughs> Yay! This is really yes. nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's super great to, to get to know you a little bit over the computer. You've been listening to New Musings on New Music. Check our podcast website for links to music and more information about our guests and conversations. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date on new episodes and podcast news. Suddenly Listen acknowledges the support of Arts Nova Scotia in the production of this podcast. Thanks for listening.